The word of the Lord from First, Corinth, First Chronicles 29, starting at 10 through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and your hand are, and your hand are powerful and might, and you, and, it, and in your hand it is. It is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. The unit my dad was deployed to France with, the 26th, was part of Patton's 3rd Army. The unit that took the field in France in the late summer of 1944 was 180% casualties by the end of the war, which means the division was replaced once and almost entirely again. Freedom always has a price. Our freedom from sin and death had an even steeper price. Which is why Paul says these words. You can follow along on page 496 of your pew Bibles from Romans 10, beginning at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. this age of my life and wait just a second to get that up for a second. Good? I marvel that not going to work, huh? I will shout for a minute and then they will 
all the earth will shout their praise, right? Um, there we go. Thank you so much. Um, I've been very blessed, and, and um, every, almost every single one of you has experienced pain that I've never experienced. And, and so I speak, um, I speak without um, wisdom, and I speak without experience. But watching you go through some of the things that you've gone through, I, I feel it. I sense it. Why does it hurt so much, right? Oh, yeah, we know. Theologically, we know why it does, right? Um, sin entered the world so long ago uh, through our own choices, and the consequence of sin was, was pain, right? was pain. Now, now we live in this in-between time when, when we know what's coming. We know the truth. We know that, that pain and sting even of death is not going to last forever. But we live in that in-between place where God says He invites us to live by faith in what we have not yet experienced. You guys are such a comfort to me when I, have, when I taste, and it's only taste, of some of the trauma and experiences that you've had. And I'm so um, grateful for placing me in a congregation where as I walk through those valleys that you will be there for me as well. But I want, I want to try and, um, and address with you today. It's a gospel issue. Um, how do we live in this time when sin is still so rampant, when the pain of sin is still so present in our lives? How do we then live? And I'm trusting that God's word will, will speak to us today. As we open that question together, pray with me one more time, would you, God? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, keep your finger, if you would, in, um, in Romans 10. It's such a familiar passage, especially as we come to that place in our life where we're able to say, you know, I'm ready to put my weight down on who God is. I'm ready to put my weight down on what God has done for me. And, and tucked in those few verses are, are this path of life that we have explored together, but that if you're seeing it for the first time can be your path of life too. Paul says, if, if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just, right, in John, to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And, and here in, in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul tells us that if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead... We shall be saved. As he says in 10.13, then for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from disease. Thank you for your prayers. Saved from even sin. But I want you to walk with me back here. Let's, let's put this together. Let's go all the way back, in a sense, to to that original question, you know, why are we so vulnerable? I'm going to start to pain, but really we know the answer to that. We're vulnerable to pain because of sin. Why are we vulnerable to the ravages of sin? Where does sin come from, right? 
Where does it come from? Well, we know that we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, right? We are created in the image of God, and God is love, amen? And so if we're created in the image of God, then therefore we have within us the ability to love. But as we have explored together before, if we are genuinely going to be able to love, then we have to have the ability to choose love. To love or not love, right? And we've explored together to choose not love is sin. To choose not love is to choose Evil, right? So, so it kind of begs another question. Why do we still sin even after we've acknowledged something as sin? Even after we've been forgiven of sin? Why is it that we still struggle? We, we even have gotten to the point where we have repented of it, sometimes renounced it, sometimes been restored from it, but we still find ourselves back in the grip of sin again. I want to explore with you today just a little bit, a couple of ideas. Let them just marinate in your heart, and, and, and then I want you to push back. I want you to try and understand this, so that as you find yourself tempted to sin, to pain, to even death, to being overwhelmed by the death that surrounds us, that you will have a path of life that you can follow. Let me start just by saying the root uh, in, in the Bible, the root of all our behavior is this mysterious thing that the Bible calls heart. And, and, and it's hard for us because we uh, live in a modern age where we understand the heart is this organ that pumps blood. But over 850 times in the Bible, uh, the heart is described as something greater than that. Um, the, the, in the 850 times in the Bible, the heart is described as something that, that trusts and treasures, right? That trusts and treasures. And I don't, I don't have to explain that to you. I could see it on your faces as you were remembering your loved ones. You trusted them. And, and you, even to this day, you treasure them. And it's the heart in the Bible that it, it enables us to do that. But the heart is so much more in the Bible. We've explored it together. We've described the heart as that, as that center of your will, that place that, that decisions are made, that place where, where your emotions counsel, where your mind counsels, that place where you are desirous of things, that place where you think about things and meditate on things, that place where you reason, that place where you long and even lust that place where you desire what you can't receive. The word heart in the Bible describes you. It's that part of your soul that defines who you are, the very center of your being. So it includes your mind, yes, and and your emotions, but it essentially is your will. And that's going to be important for us today because you can choose today to be transformed you can choose today to live into a different future for yourself. The heart is so much more. But the truth is we believe in our hearts too. 
We believe. Think about it. Do you believe in your head? No. You give intellectual assent to things. You, you reason, but those things are then given to your heart, and ultimately how you're going to respond comes down to your heart. You believe in your heart, the deepest part of who you are. Not many Christians, it's going to sound odd to you, but not many Christians think of themselves as unbelievers, right? We normally use that term to describe people on the journey, people that are not quite there yet, people that are not yet disciples of Jesus. And yet, we find ourselves at these periodic junctions in our lives still unable to believe. Often there's a large gap between what we say we believe in our head, right, and what we truly believe in our hearts. I've called that the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart, right? There's this distortion between what you say or think you believe and what you actually do is expressed by the way you respond to people. Our great desire for these days, knowing Jesus but not yet with him, our great desire for these days is to close that gap between our heads and our hearts, right? To close the gap between what we know in our head and what we believe in our hearts. There's a long biblical word for that. It's called sanctification. It's called this process of being made holy. It's, it's this process of becoming more like Jesus. But we will only become more like Jesus when our actions are consistent with what we say we believe. You see, sinful actions always have in their origin some form of unbelief. Let me push this harder. Sinful actions always have some form of unbelief. And I'm going to suggest to you that behind every sin, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, behind every sin is a lie. Is a lie, and it's a lie first and foremost about God, right? Romans 1.25 says, People are given over to sinful desires because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They, they gave up the glory of God, the image that they were made in, and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then we read also in Romans 14.23 that, that everything that doesn't come from faith then, and that truth, is sin. Well, another word for faith is belief, is belief. And I want to suggest to you that all sin comes from not believing what is true about God. Let me say that again. All sin comes from not believing what is true about God. Oh, yeah, we want to blame, right, our sin on our circumstances. I got angry because somebody used to be a PT Cruiser, now it's a silver Toyota, um, cut me off, right? And, and we blame uh, our sin on our circumstances. Others said, I started to worry because my husband or my wife lost their job, right? Uh, and, and we give in to worry um, because of our circumstances. Others, I yelled at my kids because they weren't obeying. We've gotten so good at this. I'm actually refined it to a fine art of blame shifting. And I used to think that that was just because I was a guy, and guys are particularly good at this, but uh, I know now it's just the darkness of my own heart. Almost, I cannot 
I'm embarrassed, but almost to a to an incident, the moment something goes wrong in my life, I start to think, who's at fault? Blame my wife on my missing glasses, these glasses, which were right where I had left them. But when I couldn't find them, my immediate thought was, well, there's only two of us now. I've run out of people to blame, right? Uh, um, Actually, I didn't think about the pets. I can start going there. But, But it's just natural for me to do that, right? But here's the reality, right? In, in my reality. Our circumstances merely illuminate what's already in our hearts, right? Our circumstances merely illuminate what's already in our hearts. I think my grandmother was the first one to tell me that story when I was having a hissy fit about something. And, and, and she, like grandmothers do, just started telling me a story about a bear in the woods. You know, I'm, I'm upset about something, and Grandma's telling me a story about a bear in the woods. And she says, you know, if a bear kicks over, have you heard this one? If a bear kicks over a bucket, right, it's not the bear's fault what was in the bucket. It could be honey, or it could be bees, right? It was my grandmother's gentle way of saying you're an idiot to me. It could be honey, or it could be bees, but it's not the bear's fault, right? If, if, if someone kicks over my bucket, it's not... It's not their fault. They, yeah, they might have sinned by kicking it over, but what was in it was my responsibility. And, and our circumstances, when those situations arise, they, they're a gift of God. Honestly, they're a gift of God because they reveal what's really going on inside. Our struggles, our struggles reveal our hearts. Now, don't hear condemnation because everybody else in the room here struggles too we are in this in-between place this saved but not yet sanctified place right we're in this in-between place but i'm praying and and hoping that as you understand that then you can give yourself the grace that jesus gives you and that you can live into who you were created to be so, so it's not the nature of our struggles that is the issue. It's the, our response to those struggles. Now, I recognize that, that, that this heart-level perspective, right, focusing on what our hearts perceive is a radical view of sin and repentance. And so why am I camping on it? Because this perspective also is a helpful view. It's a helpful view of sin and transformation because it shows us a way out of the struggle. That's my goal today, to show you a way out. It's pretty bold, but what is the way to stop sinning, to stop the junk and stuff that's in the bucket, right? Most of us, and and for good reason, think that the way to stop sinning is to simply change our behavior, right? To simply change it. How many times have you done that? I will not do that anymore, right? How many times? I, I need a, a calculator. Um, we can't just overpower sin by willpower, right? We might have some little victories, and then, and then something sweeps us off our feet, and we find we're right back where we were before. No, the the way to stop sinning is not simply a change in behavior like we could somehow will that to be. Why? Because every behind every behavior there's a heart issue, right? 
behind every behavior, there's a heart issue, stress, fears, performance, right? Ungratefulness, striving. All those things are heart issues. There's always a heart issue behind every sinful behavior or action. But I want you to see this next step, too. Behind every heart issue is a belief issue. Is a belief issue. And if you miss this, you're going to spend the rest of your life beating yourself up about making the same mistakes over and over again. Behind every behavior is a heart issue, but behind every heart issue is a belief issue. In other words, behavior is a direct result of the heart issue, which is a direct result of the belief issue. Let me take you one step further, and I'll try and unpack this a little bit. Behind every sin, then, when I say belief, I'm not talking about belief in yourself. Uh, I'm talking about belief in God. Have you ever had your cage absolutely rattled because you suddenly came into awareness of a truth about God that you had misunderstood your entire life? Am I the only one? Um, You want to get your cage rattled, right? We, We don't realize it, but we're putting our weight down on a misperception sometimes about God. Please don't, I'm not going to give you some radical, crazy thing here. I just had it several times in my my maturity as a follower of Jesus that I realized that I misunderstood something about God and it absolutely rattled my cage. It, it destabilized. And I, I'm thinking of a quote from, from Red October. A little revolution is good once in a while, right? The Russian captain says, but, but um, uh, it's, it's good for us to get our cage rattled once in a while because it's much better than continuing to live with a false understanding of who God is. So the, the great invitation here for this time right now is to, is to understand that, that, um, that we can find a solution by focusing on who God is. What really needs to change in my life is what I'm believing about God in my heart. We saw powerfully in our Romans 10 passage that belief is critical. And he says, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is sovereign, he's Lord over your life, but believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What you believe about God in your heart is critical. Before I go on, can I just say one more word about circumstances? About, about circumstances? Because that's exactly where we are as a congregation right now, Right? We're, we're in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand. There's a, there's a sea change happening in North American Christianity, and, and there's a sea change happening for us. And, and, and what do you do when your circumstances seem so uncertain, right? I want to suggest to you that what you do in those situations is focus on what you know to be true about God, but also about one another. Several of us were doing a study last week of Barnabas and, and the Apostle Paul. And we hit this, this um, passage where Barnabas and Paul, like Tom and Jerry, like cookies and cream, and Barnabas and Paul are not getting along. In fact, they're having very heated words. And, it, and it's all over the issue of a young guy named John Mark who, um, 
who deserted them on the mission field. As Paul's perspective, he deserted them. And, and Barnabas, the very one who adopted Paul and brought Paul into the circle of, of the faith community when he had been killing people of faith, Barnabas, the very one who brought Paul into that, said, let's, let's, let's give him another chance. I'm adding some words to Scripture here. Let's, let's give him a second chance, right? And Paul said, no way. No way. Right? And Barnabas and Paul actually split over this issue. I'd like to find some sunshine in this story, right? That, that now there's two teams of people going out, and, and God always does. That he takes our, our pain and our brokenness and multiplies goodness out of it. But the reality was is that, that they had this big disagreement, and they couldn't resolve it. And, and I was just amazed that Barnabas had the courage to do that. But this week, as we were looking at that, it struck me for the very first time that, that, that Barnabas was being true to his friend. He knew Paul better than Paul knew himself, right? And, and he refused to let Paul go down that place and, and, and be untrue to who he himself was. How do I know that? We looked at several other passages at the end of our study where, where Paul sends a letter and says, oh, be sure and send Mark to me, right? I, I looked it up because I wasn't sure if my memory was correct, but powerful testimony that, that John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark. And, and that if Barnabas hadn't, hadn't been true to who he knew Paul was and stood by his guns, then we might not have ever had the, the Gospel of, John, of Mark, excuse me, which many believe was the first one written and, and others had in their hands when they wrote theirs. Where am I going with this? That, that we've got to come to that place where when, when our circumstances are uncertain, we focus on what we know to be true. We camp out on we, what we know to be true about God and about one another. Thank you for letting me just take a sidebar there for a second. Well, what do we know about God then? Oh, my goodness. Um, I've been doing this for 40-some years. Many of you for 60, even 70 years. Have you ever plumbed the depths of the majesty and glory of God? Have you, ever, have you ever gotten close to being able to wrap your brain around this infinite goodness that is, that is God? Uh, no, no. But we, but we strive to do that. We go back to God's Word. We cry out to the Holy Spirit, I want to know you, God. I want to know you. And I want to focus on what I do know about you already. And so I feel pretty silly trying to distill God down to four simple truths. But I'm mindful that, that you might not yet be to that place where you where you have discovered the majesty and beauty and glory that is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if I could, let me just invite you to think about four truths, four eternal truths about God here. I'm not trying to say that they're exhaustive. I'm not trying to say that everything can be explained by them. No, what I'm really trying to do is is to place them in your heart so you could use them as a diagnostic tool to discover where, why you're responding the way you are to your circumstances. Why are you fearing? Why are you hiding? 
Why are you running? What are these four truths? They're not rocket science. We've been singing them all morning long. First of all, God is great. God is great. When, when David was rebuked by God uh, uh, for stepping beyond God's call in his life, he responds with this amazing, this amazing prayer in 2 Samuel 7. God has just said, you can't do what you want to do. I want you to glorify me, right? And David says, how great are you, sovereign Lord? There's no one like you. There's no God but you. And we've heard that with our own ears. God is greater than your circumstances. God is great. And His greatness no one can fathom, right? What does that mean? What does that mean? You don't have to be in control. Isn't that, isn't that a part of the grief? Is that is that life has gotten out of control. I don't know how to respond anymore. I don't know what to do. And God says, that's okay. You don't have to know what to do. I've got this. That's what sovereign means, right? I am in control. God is great. And we may know or even say we believe that that God is in control of all things, that He's sovereign, right? But then... I find myself still giving in to worry and anxiety about the many details of my life. It's as if I'm saying, God, I, got, I, I believe in my head that you are in control, but I don't really believe in my heart that you are. And so maybe I'm going to help you out here a little bit, God, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work to control certain people or situations in my life, God, so make your job a little easier. But if I truly believe that God is great, right? If I, if I truly believe that He's large and in charge of everything in my life, then I can rest. I can repent of stressing out about people and circumstances or even my future. God is greater than anything I face. And how do we hear from, from earlier from First Chronicles? God is also glorious, Right? glorious that we heard in in the passage that Kathy read for us. And now we thank you, our God. We praise your glorious name, right? Why? Why why do we turn to the glory of God as our shield and our rampart? Because if God is glorious, then I don't have to fear others, right? I don't have to fear what might happen to me. I've already surrendered my life to a God who is much greater than any of my fears. My problem is that it's not big ticket things like that. It's these little stupid things that I'm so vulnerable to, right? One common reason that I sin is because I crave the approval of others or I fear their rejection or disapproval, right? 